You know, it isn't very often that I quote lyrics from a Bon Jovi song, but here goes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The new and improved tomorrow isn't what it used to be. Yesterday keeps coming around, it's just reality. It's the same damn song with a different melody. You know, that's how I sometimes feel when I look at the work that's been done to clean up the marketplace and protect consumers in the last 50 years. The more things change, the more they stay the same. With so much information at your fingertips, thanks to the internet and mobile technology, it's easy to assume that you're in control, that you're making smart decisions. But all too often, that's an illusion created by the companies that are trying to sell you stuff. They're using big data and a whole host of marketing tricks to manipulate what you buy and how much you spend. I'm Herb Weisbaum, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org. Welcome to Consumerpedia. At Checkbook.org, we're the nonprofit that helps consumers select services, avoid trouble, and save money. Because we don't accept any advertising or take money from any business we recommend, you can rely on Checkbook.org to be completely independent and objective. Now, here's the host of Consumerpedia, America's consumer expert, the consumer man, Herb Weisbaum. When I first became a consumer reporter back in the mid-1970s, most transactions were by check. We used travel agents to buy airline tickets, and phones had to be plugged into the wall. Today, we shop online, bank online, and buy our own airline tickets online, anytime from anywhere. And yet, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Despite all the technological innovations that make shopping quicker and easier, many of the problems in the marketplace today remain the same. We're going to talk about that with my good friend, Adam Levin. Adam is a longtime consumer advocate and expert on privacy and cybersecurity. He is also the host of the very popular What the Hack podcast. Adam joins us today from an undisclosed location in Arizona. I hope it's air-conditioned, Adam. Hello. It is air-conditioned, but outside it's 114. Yikes. So at age 27, before you became the guru of all things digital, you were director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs Office, and we're still dealing with some of the same problems you tackled back then, fraudsters and dishonest businesses. Well, it's like you said in your song in the beginning, and of course, being a Jersey guy, I appreciate anything about John Bon Jovi, uh, is that the music is the same, but the lyrics change. And it's the same kinds of scams that we've seen it's all about people who can con you and con you successfully. And oftentimes it has to do with how much information they have about you, which is a lot more than they used to have in the good old days. I want to get your opinion on something. When I started doing this, there were basically three kinds of companies. There were the total scammers, you know, fraud from the word go, criminals. There were shoddy companies that did lousy work or had horrible customer service. And then there were the good guys, all the big respected brand name companies that we supposedly loved and trusted. Now, the good guys, so to speak, have been moving closer and closer to the edge. And in many cases, as we've seen by all the cases brought by the Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau against the big bank and tech companies, they're across the line. And if they get busted, they go, oh, geez, we didn't know. We weren't sure. Somebody in another division did it. They pay a fine. It's a tax deductible expense. And they made all this money and go right on. That really bothers me. I wanted to talk to you about that, that the supposed good guys are really doing all these terrible things. You're not wrong about that, Herb. The, the problem is that it's getting more and more difficult every day to figure out who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, and who the gray guys are. So the troubling thing is this seems to be the new marketing dynamic. 
We're going to make it hard for you to cancel your subscriptions. We're going to sign you up for credit cards or certain banking financial products, and you never knew about it, and you're paying this money, and we hope we don't get caught. I mean, all to make the stockholders happy. I don't know. I just find that disgusting. Well, you're not you're not wrong about that. And we, we even see when it comes to protecting consumers at financial institutions, we see that, for instance, credit unions tend to be far more consumer-centric than these big financial institutions, which are only looking out for the shareholders. And unfortunately, oftentimes, shareholder interest and consumer interest are radically different. So the warning has always been caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. And I think that's more important than ever in today's fast-paced digital world. You know, digital technology can empower you with information, but it can also make you think you're getting a good deal when you're not because they have all these tricks to manipulate you. And there's false testimonials, there's bogus reviews. There's so much going on in the digital world that it's, it's not reality in many cases. Well, first of all, you have to start with the premise that we're living in a surveillance economy. There are countries where they, you have surveillance societies. We have a surveillance economy. Mm-hmm. And that surveillance economy comes with a lot of downsides. And one of the downsides is that the technology that makes us powerful also makes us vulnerable. Because when they know too much about us and they can predict many things about us or try to steer us in the direction that they want to predict, Mm -hmm. Uh, we find ourselves in trouble. And you are a thousand percent right that, and this was a position I took all way back when, when I was head of consumer affairs in the 70s in New Jersey. And that is that the ultimate guardian of the consumer was always, is, and will always be the consumer. But government can certainly help out. In Europe, they have privacy protections because they believe that privacy is important, where we are the, the, you know, hey, give me a free app and take all my personal information. I mean, it's two different ways of looking at how the consumer should be protected. Well, they are. And in the United States, they, there is the, the beginnings of this with the California Consumer Protection Act. And you have a couple other states, New York, Connecticut, Utah, that are now moving in the direction. But we do not have, we do not have a national data privacy law. We do not have a national data notification law when you have breaches. And that's because you have states that are taking the position that they can better protect consumers than the federal government. And if there is a federal law, that federal law could water down state law, and they don't want that. So you've, you've got that kind of friction going on. But in no question that the view of privacy in Europe is radically different than the view of privacy in the U.S., Well, a number of years ago when I went to a privacy conference you held in Lisbon, Portugal, the people there were looking at me like, what's the matter with you Americans? I mean, it's like, don't you realize that your data is your data? And if you don't want somebody to have it, a company, you get to control it. And if you give it and want them to get rid of it later, you can tell them to get rid of it. You guys in America, like, just give it away and yeah, take anything you want. Keep it for as long as you want. I mean, that's a whole different mindset than we do. Absolutely. And in America, there's this this other mindset that we have to deal with, which is, that when convenience clashes with security, convenience tends to win out. So, and that's been the tug. And in America, so many people take the position, I want what I want. If you can give me the things I want and make it as easy as possible for me to get what I want, I'm willing to make the trade. 
And that's because a lot of people don't understand what kind of a Faustian bargain that trade can really be. And the trade is that they can take all this information about you, put it in huge databases and schmizzle it together and tell all kinds of things about you and then sell it to companies who can target you for marketing, whatever they want you to do. Well, and not only that, you've had situations where companies will say to consumers, we will never share your information, never. And one of those companies went bankrupt. And the first thing that was sold was all of the consumer information from the company to the company that was buying them in bankruptcy. So we don't even play by the rules that we seem to set for the people that we do business with. And that's entirely unacceptable. But unfortunately, without really aggressive action, which we're now starting to see more of from the Federal Trade Commission, and certainly the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has been as aggressive as it can be, even in light of the fact that during a previous administration, everything was done in order to defang the agency. But we got a lot of work to do in this country, and people need to get a better understanding of what privacy really means. One of the big issues you had, I know, was the whole idea of disclosure, that it's important for companies to disclose pricing information to people before they make a purchase. And we're still dealing with that today. The funeral industry is fighting having their information online. The aviation industry, they got Congress, the House uh, passed its new aviation funding bill that says that they don't have to tell you the full price of tickets anymore up front like they've been doing. I'm not sure it's going to make it through the Senate. But again, going backwards, it's like, why shouldn't people know what the price of something is before they buy it? People should absolutely know what the price is before they buy something because it's all about the concept of, I want to compare prices. I want to get the best deal. And the only the only way that a business can protect itself in its own mind from having to deal with competition is for you not to know exactly what the other guys are charging. But the truth of the matter is that the people need to know. They need to know pricing. Right. While digital technology can empower consumers with information, it can also prevent some people from benefiting from the digital revolution. We're going to talk to Adam about this digital discrimination next. I'm Herb Weisbaum, the Consumer Man, and this is Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider being a Consumerpedia supporter by using the link at the bottom of the show notes to make a small contribution each month. This is Consumerpedia. Like it or not, we are living in a digital economy, which means millions of people are being left behind. We're moving to a cashless society, even though nearly 6 million Americans don't have a checking account, according to the FDIC. And about 17% of U.S. consumers don't have a credit card, according to the Federal Reserve. Supermarkets across the country are shifting to digital-only coupons that require the customers to have the store's app or an online account to access those coupons. Adam, your thoughts on this as a guy who lives in the digital world and also a consumer advocate about people being left behind here? I think it's a terrible thing when people are left behind, and and oftentimes it relates to people in rural areas, it relates to senior citizens, uh, younger people. You have the whole issue of the unbanked. And perfect example, when someone says, you have to become part of our customer loyalty program and look how much money you're going to save. You're almost compelled to give them all of your information. If you're not using a conduit that makes it easy for you to give them your information, like for instance, operating online or having a smartphone, then that requires you to have to actually go into the store and do things that some people are not necessarily able to do. Well, and in some cases, you can't do it at all. These new coupons at the supermarket, some of them are digital only. You can only, you know, they'll say, oh, we'll, we'll do it at the register if you tell us. We tried that, and I did it, and my wife did it once, and 
and the, the store people were like, hey, you know, you got what are you, stupid? You got to get with this thing. You got to figure it out. It's like not everybody can do that. I, I checked with the Pew Research uh, Center, and, uh, you know, everybody doesn't have a smartphone or a broadband Internet service at home. Uh, this is a survey that was done in 2021. 39% of those 65 and older don't own a smartphone. 25% don't use the Internet. Income levels, a quarter of the adults, 24% in households with incomes below 30 grand a year don't own a smartphone, and about 4 in 10 don't have broadband internet service. So it's something that a lot of people still can't access. We think everybody's got broadband internet. We think everybody's got a smartphone. That just isn't the reality of where we are right now. No, it isn't. And think about when we were in the depths of the pandemic and everywhere that you went, where you were allowed to go somewhere, you were looking at QR codes. And the only problem is if you didn't have a digital device, there really wasn't much you could do because you couldn't take a picture of a QR code unless you had a phone. Right. And some of these restaurants now are not switching back. I don't want to take a picture of your menu. Don't you have a menu? Can't you just give me a menu? Is that really that hard to do? You know, a lot of things are changing. And unfortunately, if you're not uh, digitally adept or you don't have the right digital device, you're at a disadvantage. Well, my feeling is that somewhere this should be regulated that until we move down the line a little bit and there are all these people who are in the other side of the digital divide, that they can't make everything be digital only. The supermarkets, they've got to make it easy to get a physical coupon. And the next step is, and I just read this the other day, is that clothing manufacturers are lobbying Congress and the Federal Trade Commission to let them use QR codes instead of words on the clothing tags that have to be in all your garments that tell you the fiber content and the country of origin and the cleaning instructions. Right. That's what I want to do when I'm about to put my clothing in the washing machine or take it to the dry cleaner. I want to get my smartphone, take a QR code picture that tells me whether I have to use hot water or cold water or whether I can iron this or take it to the dry cleaner. I mean, and I know I sound like an old fart, but really, seriously? Well, we're both old farts, but imagine one day <laughs> that you're going to actually... Yeah, you're going to you're going to basically take whatever this thing is, whether it's a QR code or whatever, and you're going to wave it in front of your washer or dryer and it's going to tell you suddenly whether no no, don't do that. Can't put it in. You know, that's theoretically where we're going, but there are so many people that won't be able to take advantage of that and will be disadvantaged because they won't be able to take advantage of that. And you know why they want to do this? The manufacturers are saying the reason they want to do this is because it engages. It, it gives you brand recognition and it engages the consumer. So you can scan the QR code on the label on your boxer shorts and learn more about Egyptian cotton or why this brand values your tushy or whatever the, they want to tell you. It's like I, they want to, they're going to use the QR code on the, on the fabric care label to engage with their audience. It's all about them. They want to keep marketing you stuff as opposed to disclosure, providing you the information they're required by law to give you. Well, that's the point, because if they make it digital and there is some kind of, quote, engagement between you and it, they're just gathering more information about you. And I don't really want to have an up close and personal relationship with any garment. I have. <laughs> Although I have to tell you one of the best lines that I heard, we had, a, we had a wonderful guest on our show, Michelle Dennity, who you know, yes, who is a, a very accomplished privacy professional. And she was talking about her theory of passwords and panties. And I think you'd appreciate this. She said, I think of passwords like panties, a, they should be exotic. B, they should be frequently changed. And C, it's disgusting if you share them with anyone else. <laughs>
<laughs> that is the best rule about passwords I have ever heard, Adam. That's where you are up close and personal with a garment uh, because you're using it to remind you of something else. Let me ask you one more thing about the digital divide. A lot of places are going cashless. You have to have a debit card or a credit card. Again, that's leaving some people behind, the people who don't have bank accounts, the people who only use cash, people don't have credit cards. And you go to a ballpark now, and basically they're all cashless. And if you only have cash, you have to go to a machine, put the cash in the machine. It spits out a little debit card that you can use. In many cases, there's some sort of fee involved. That just, again, that just seems wrong to me. It's currency. It's the U.S. dollar. I know it's for the convenience. It's It cuts down the, the crime and the theft. But there's it just, I guess if you're going to do that, maybe it should absolutely be free. There can't be any charge involved. But I'm curious as your thoughts about that. I totally agree. We have to give people options. First of all, that's good marketing. Give people options. Don't cut down on their options. That only creates hostility between the consumer and the business. If you're in it to make money, then whatever is considered the currency of the realm, you should definitely be in a position to take it, and people should have the right to exercise those options. Data breaches. They don't make the news as much these days as they used to, but criminals continue to break into databases to steal your personal information. Are companies doing enough to protect the information they collect from you? We're going to talk to Adam about that next. I'm Herb Weisbaum, and this is Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Consumerpedia Fast Facts. Here are the top five data compromises for 2022, according to the nonprofit Identity Theft Resource Center. Number five, Beetle Eye, an online tool that streamlines email marketing campaigns. Seven million victims. Number four, Cash App, eight million victims. Number three, AT&T, nearly 23 million victims. Number two, Neopets, the viral pet website, 69 million victims. And number one, Twitter, with 222 million victims. It's not breaking news anymore, but data breaches in the U.S. are taking place at a record pace. So far this year, there have been 1,392 data compromises, according to the nonprofit Identity Theft Resource Center. At this pace, 2023 would surpass the all-time record of 1,862 compromises set in 2021. Last year, the total number of victims from all of these breaches that took place, 422 million people, an increase of 41% from 2021. What is going on here, Adam? Hackers getting better, companies letting their guard down, a little bit of both? Well, I think there are a lot of companies, believe it or not, that are actually doing a better job than they've ever done before. But there are a lot of companies that aren't. There are a lot of companies that have gone out of business because they weren't doing the right kind of job when it came to digital security. You know, breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. And this is something that people have to understand. We're exposed. Now, if you want to say, well, golly, 422 million new people, the answer is no, this isn't new. If you think about the uh, breach of Equifax, where 150 million Americans and some folks from around the world uh, lost pretty much every piece of critical data, and all they've been doing is sort of building on this. And so we're, we're now having redundancy with all of these breaches. And what's interesting is in the light of all of this, there was a survey not too long ago where they surveyed the Fortune 100 and found that of those 100 companies, only four had executive level data security people. That's a little disturbing. Four? Four. Out of 100. Out of 100. 
What does that tell you since you're a data privacy expert? What that tells me is that a lot of companies haven't quite gotten the message that you have to build a culture of privacy security in an organization, and that culture has to start at the loading dock or the reception desk all the way up to the chairman of the board and every position in between. In addition to which, conversations about privacy and security have to go on on a daily basis, not, well, this is your six-month anniversary of when you joined the company, so we're going to give you a refresher course on privacy and security. But it is is a terrible problem. And if people want to actually get up close and personal with how big a problem it is, just go onto the website, Have I Been Pawned? P-W-N-E-D. Have I Been Pawned? And you will be shocked by the number of data breaches that involve your information or your phone number that you'll find on that website. So why don't companies care more? Is it because we've all become numb to these data breaches and they figure there's not going to be the long-term impact that there there was in the beginning? Or what's the logic here? Well, there has to some extent been breach fatigue for a lot of people, but (laughs) there can't afford to be breach fatigue when it comes to an organization. The Mm -hmm. average cost right now of a data breach is $4.45 million. Now, to some companies, that's a rounding error. To other companies, that's an extinction-level event. Yeah, absolutely. They could put you out of business with that. Totally. And this is the problem, is that so much information is being collected about us by these organizations. It's being held way beyond its useful shelf life. It's not properly destroyed when it's no longer needed. It puts everyone in harm's way. The the reality is, and, and this is to go back to even the beginning of our conversation, consumers have never been more exposed than they are today. And we are all exposed and we are all in the danger zone and government hasn't done enough, business hasn't done enough. And unfortunately, if each of us takes a few minutes to think about it, we haven't done enough, that this is a shared responsibility. And there has to be cooperation, communication, collaboration between government, business, media, and consumers. We are all in this together. Amen. By the way, when I make speeches now, I now say point blank, your data has been breached multiple times. It is out there. It is on the dark web. It's not a question of if it's out there. It is. And if you haven't been a victim yet, it's only because they have so much stuff they haven't got around to attacking you yet. So you better take steps to protect yourself. Would you agree with that? One million percent. I would agree with that. And it's like we, when I wrote the book Swiped, we're talking about what we call the three M's. How do you minimize your risk of exposure, reduce your attackable surface in a world where you have billions of Internet of Things devices that are tracking you and all of these programs in the surveillance economy? How do you effectively monitor that you know you have a problem? And then how do you manage the damage? And just not only out there, but I think people also have to come to terms with something else. And that is that the only way to get everybody more cyber secure, it has to start from the bottom up. This can't be trickled down data security. It has to be in the home, literally from the kitchen to the living room to the home office, just like with a company Families have to build a culture of privacy and security for the family because you may not realize it, but something that your child may do could compromise a device that you use for your work, 
And if that device at work is exposed to the network, which it will be, it could bring down companies. And if those companies just happen in any way to be working as part of a supply chain, or they're involved with any kind of security, you could be bringing down the country. Crazy as that sounds, it's like the whole concept of the pond and the stone in the pond. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that which emanates from that stone dropping in the pond can affect the entire body of water. Adam Levin is a longtime consumer advocate. He's an expert on privacy and cybersecurity. He's the host of the popular What the Hack podcast. Check it out. It's really good. Adam was nice enough to have me on once. Oh, Herbin, it's it's been a real pleasure. I truly appreciate it. And I've always had fun doing interviews with you and having you on our show. And let's do more of this. Well, that's it for this edition of Consumerpedia. We hope you'll rate this episode and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, we release new episodes every other Thursday. Another way you can support this show is to follow us on Consumerpedia on Facebook and Instagram and at MyConsumerpedia on Twitter. I'm Herb Weisbaum. Thanks for listening. Consumerpedia is a public service of Checkbook.org. We're a unique nonprofit that helps you save money and make smarter choices. You can count on Checkbook to help you find the best services and avoid the worst with local ratings that are accurate and unbiased. If you live in or around these seven cities and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. To get your free 30-day subscription, go to checkbook.org consumerpedia. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll become a supporter by using the link at the bottom of the show notes to make a small contribution each month. Consumerpedia, empowering consumers to save money and make smarter choices.